Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia. Well, good afternoon. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope that last week was good for you, and that this is going to be helpful for you in the following week. So we had Thanksgiving, we had all the, the um, elections, we've had a lot of really big things going on. And last week we talked about managing your emotions, or emotions in motion. And so we talked extensively about what feelings are, how, how, how they are part of us being made in the image of God, why we have them, and how to manage them what to do with them. And the first one and foremost, and if you didn't listen to last week's show, I will just give you the bottom line. You are not to judge your feelings. I say to people all the time, you know, if I could pick my, if I could pick my feelings, I'd always have quote unquote appropriate happy feelings. So I can't pick my feelings. My feelings occur. They're physical sensations in our body and they they simply occur. Some of them are emanated from the, the, um, from our brain but they are always felt in our body. And so one of the primary feelings that Americans have that they are managing right now or trying, attempting to, is anxiety. used to be that depression was on top of the list. It went depression and then anxiety, heart disease, these types of things. Now anxiety is the top of the list. We are a very anxious country. And we have a lot of, of behaviors that you can see that is supporting the fact that we are very anxious people. We are very busy people, overcommitted people. We are very perfectionistic. And Americans have a cultural tendency, or I would say maybe problem, that they always want to be happy. So Americans make jokes about everything. They always want to be happy. They have a really hard time dealing with some of the more what we would call unpleasant feelings. And they have a tendency to judge them. Like, I shouldn't feel this way, I shouldn't act that way, I shouldn't think this way. Instead of simply saying, okay, I'm a human being, really the only thing I have control over is my thoughts. And even then, if, if I have someone with an extreme anxiety disorder, they have a hard time even controlling their thoughts. And so you want to recognize that it is this issue of control that is, is a part of the anxiety bind, And that means that I may be trying to control things I can't control, and I'm not controlling the things I should be controlling. But there's a lot that goes into anxiety. And I want to start out with this really beautiful verse that says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you and uphold you with my righteous right hand. So do not fear. When I, what I want you to understand, understand and this is, this is very important, we have many, many times we have churches that have misinterpreted this verse saying, do not fear. And it is turned into fear is now a sin, and it means you don't trust God. Well, 
if we, if we really look through the scriptures and we see how Jesus was feeling, the hour, that hour he spent in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's, he's sweating drops of blood. We're talking about high anxiety. He knew what was coming, and he was very afraid. As a human being, his body, he knew emotionally the wrath, the condemnation, the shaming, the hatred he was going to incur, and what was going to happen to his body. He had seen crucifixions. He knew what they looked like. He was very anxious. And it wasn't because he didn't trust God. But he even said to God, if there is any way, let this cup pass. If there is any way. So what you want to think about is fear is a natural phenomenon in the human experience. Probably not. I I would imagine it's part of the fall. I don't think that Adam had anything to fear and tell. He and Eve stepped over the line and fell. Once they fell, they then had fear. Then they were afraid for God to see them. Then Then they had shame. So fear and anxiety are similar not exactly the same. They kind of come together, but they are quite similar. So fear is, what, what I was saying earlier, very prevalent in our society. And it's one of the enemy's most popular weapons. He wants us to worry. He wants us to be anxious. He wants us to have fear. And this can overwhelm us with a very thick shadow of darkness. And it can control every decision we make. It can control the way we think. It can control how we interact with others. It can control whether or not I leave the house. And so there is so much crazy going on with us today. We have, we just got done with the elections. We have wars or impending wars. We have conflicts with neighbors. We have all kinds of persecution. We have rioting. We have some violence. We have disease. We have death. (laughs) We fear for our children's future. We fear for our own families. We fear our financial future. We fear our safety. I mean, the list goes on and on and on about the things that we can fear. Although, this really is the safest time on the planet in all history, other than when Adam and Eve are in the garden. This still is one of the best times in history, globally. And so I'm not not talking about wars that are happening in the Middle East and, and the plight that we see in Africa, especially in East Africa. I, I'm not, and, and what's going on in Russia, what I, I'm not talking politically. What I'm saying is that there is more help on the planet than there has ever been. And there are more people that care, even non-Christians that care, than we have experienced in the history of the world. So even though we have better than what has been, we are still creatures of fear. And we still feel fear. So... What we want to really think about is that worry and fear and anxiety need to simply be used as indicators and something that tells me, do I need to actually act? So if I have a um, maybe someone wandering around outside the house and it's 12 o'clock at night and that gives me anxiety or fear, trepidation, I probably need to do something. And we talked last week about if the, alarm, the smoke alarm goes off, I need to do something. Does that mean I immediately call 911? No. I need to figure out why the smoke detector is going off. So when we struggle with fear, it can happen quickly 
It can be a slow rise. It can, it can certainly be neurologically I'm more predisposed to anxiety than, than maybe other people. Some people are a lot more, what we would say, they're less neurotic. And so when we measure personality, we talk about the neurotic, neuroticism. We're not talking about neuroses. It's a very big difference. But I, I tell people, you know, I'm a highly neurotic person. And neurotic people are easily affected. And so when we think about the high string on a Stradivarius violin versus the bass string on a bass guitar, you have to really pull, pluck that bass string on a bass guitar to get any sound out of it. Where the high string on a Stradivarius violin, you barely have to touch that string and you'll hear a sound. You'll hear a little whine. So when we measure neuroticism on a scale, on a continuum, if, if I have a tendency to be a little bit more neurotic, I'm more easily affected by life, by circumstances, by people, my own body, what's going on, and then I'm going to probably have more anxiety. So I'm going to be needing to use my brain. My brain is my best friend if I will let it be. If, if I just go with what my brain is doing, it becomes my enemy. So I need to challenge my brain. Is my brain telling me accurate information? So if I'm having anxiety and nothing is going on around me, and I say, why am I having anxiety? I may have to say to myself, well, maybe a misfire. There may be nothing to be anxious about. Because generally, if, if there's something to actually have anxiety about, it's pretty easy to find. So when I say to people, if you have to start looking for where the anxiety is coming from, it's probably a misfiring of your brain that you might have a, just a little bit more active brain, a little bit more sensitive brain. You may uh, have a tendency to think more than other people. And so you may be one of those people that you go to lunch with a group of friends, you have a good time, you walk away, you start thinking about it. What did that mean when they said that? Do they really like me? Was I too big? Did I talk too much? Did I, did I not talk enough? This is, this is more what we would say, kind of high-strung people. And so what we want to think about is, that's a personality issue versus a clinical issue. So they kind of they, they kind of uh, superimpose themselves upon one another, and I'm not going to necessarily tease that out today with you. But it's it, but what we want to think about is anxiety, just like any other feeling, has a choice element, and the choice element is how I deal with the feeling, not whether or not I have the feeling. See, once the feeling has occurred. I need to deal with it. So it's kind of like if somebody um, dropped a bomb in your, in your office, you can't kind of choose whether or not you want to have a bomb dropped. It's already happened. So once the anxiety occurs, it needs to be dealt with. So we're coming up to kind of a break, and we're going to talk about what do I do with this issue of anxiety? If you have anxiety, if you have inappropriate fear or an inordinate amount of fear, or you, you just feel un feelings of uneasiness. We're going to talk about verses that remind us what to do with fear or anxiety. And we're going to talk about specific ways to manage fear and anxiety. And we're also going to look into what really is anxiety. What, what would be an anxiety disorder? And so I think it's going to be quite helpful for you. And I want you to be people of peace. I want you to feel content. I want you to have the peace that passes all understanding. And when Jesus says, you know, I've overcome the world, 
I've overcome the world. That means he's also overcome you. And so we want how we feel inside to match the word of God. And when God says that we can be at peace and we can be at rest and to not fret and to not worry, there are things that we can do that ensure that we come to an emotional state that matches what God has designed for us. And that emotional state is is one of rest, contentment, of peace, and joy. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me in this hour. Make sure you visit me on the website at CynthiaHyatt.com, Facebook at Cynthia Hyatt, Inc., that's INC for Incorporated. I'm on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram. So join me in the next hour as we talk about anxiety and what it feels like and how to deal with it. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I am your host, Cynthia Hyatt, and I am at this time every week, Sundays at 4 on 1360 KPXQ Faith Talk. So glad that you joined me today. And today we are talking about this issue of anxiety and what, what, that, what that means and, and, and help for people with anxiety or, or just unease or worry, a tendency toward worry. And so we talked in the last segment about that I was going to introduce to you really understanding anxiety in some ways as a clinical issue. So if you're plagued with panic attacks or phobias or obsessive thoughts, you're not alone. Um, Psychiatrists are estimating that anxiety disorders affect 26 million plus people a year. And it's getting higher. We we spoke earlier in the show that anxiety is, is more prevalent now than depression. And so some people wrongly see anxiety as a sign of weakness, and they get too ashamed to ask for help. And what, what we want to think about here, we talked in the last segment about the difference between, wow, am I just kind of hardwired for more anxiety? I'm a more tightly wired person. I'm a more neurotic person, a more high-strung person. Certainly that would be me. I always joke about it with people that I'm quietly neurotic. Like if you were to meet me and talk with me, you'd, on the outside I look pretty calm, cool, and collected. <laughs> but inside I might be a little bit more uh, high-strung. So some of that is just, that's just personality. That's the part of the package that came with me when God created me. But he didn't create me with an anxiety disorder. And so when, when we actually learn how we might cross over from kind of being just a little more tightly wired or neurotic to actually having an anxiety disorder. Some of that has to do with the way we think, has to do with what we buy into, how much we believe what we're thinking and and how much we believe what we're feeling. So there's many faces to anxiety, and I'm not, you know, going to talk about diagnosing and how to diagnose. What I do want you to know is if you have anxiety or worry or compulsiveness that is so distracting that it is stealing from your life, I really want to encourage you to meet with someone, talk to a healthcare professional in some way, and get some. There's so much help right now that we know and have about anxiety. We have so many things that we can do to manage anxiety. So there are lots of faces to anxiety, and there are lots of of things that create it. And some of the anxiety um, stems from physical or, or emotional trauma. That's a lot of where anxiety comes from. So if, if you are like me, 
where maybe you're a little bit more high strung, a little bit more neurotic in personality, and then you incur abuse of any kind, that can easily create what we would call an anxiety disorder. So we have a couple of different disorders. We have panic disorder, and this is overwhelming anxiety is what it is. So we can have an anxiety disorder without panic. Panic is that disorder that, that it's about a 20-minute spike, and so it starts to rise. The person hyperventilates. They can't do anything. They can't talk about it. They can't breathe. And it, it'll dissipate pretty much within 20 minutes. Anxiety disorders can be, oh, my gosh, you can be having an anxiety attack for a day, an entire day. You cannot go to be able to go to sleep because you're, you're having so much anxiety. We have phobias, and this is anxiety that's linked to things like snakes or dogs or other objects or situations, fear of public places. We have obsessive-compulsive disorder, and this is that persistent anxiety that compels people to wash their hands endlessly. Um, they can be clean freaks. They can be hoarders. We know that obsess- uh, OCD is part of what happens with people that have hoarding tendencies. Um, OCD is not always about cleanliness. It's about repetitiveness. It's about compulsiveness. It's about how things need to be on the outside of my world in order for me to feel okay inside. We can have a generalized anxiety disorder. And this is, this is, people are consumed by worry, by money, by family, by health, how they look, what people think about them, whether or not they're going to be okay. And, and it can vacillate between having anxiety about an object or a place to just a, a feeling of dread inside. I just am sure that something's wrong. Maybe this is the Holy Spirit indicating to me that somebody has died. And, and so our anxiety is this foreboding, like I'm going to get bad news. Something on the horizon is bad. And then we have the post-traumatic stress disorder, which is now becoming, um, it's, there's a whole lot of new diagnosing that we're doing, and we don't necessarily put post-traumatic stress syndrome within the anxiety um, camp, although there is some anxiety in the post-traumatic stress syndrome. So I want you to think about that when we're working with anxiety, we're wanting to recognize the truth about anxiety. And however frightening a panic attack is, or an anxiety attack, it will not kill you. Now, this is the most frustrating and embarrassing things about panic. This is what drives people to the hospital. They think they're having a heart attack. Their blood pressure is fine. Their pulse might be racing a little bit. But the doctor says, no, you're fine. But the person is having all the chest pains and the sweating, and they have the dread, and they're sure they're having a heart attack. And so it's very frustrating to find out that you do not have a heart attack. You only have a panic attack, when actually we're probably kind of supposed to be happy about that. Thank God we are not having a heart attack. But it can be kind of embarrassing. And so what you want to think about is how do I recognize my anxiety? What is my anxiety or fear or worry or uh, panic? What does it show up like in me? Do I get that feeling that I can't get a deep breath? I just have uneasy feelings. I have racing feelings, racing thoughts, sweating. I'm wringing my hands. I'm wanting to do repetitive behaviors. Uh, I can't sit still. What, what's the anxious stuff that's happening for you? And the more you recognize for you, what does my anxiety look like? What does my fear look like? What is my panic? What is my upset? What, what does my lack of ease, my unease look like? And so you want to rate your anxiety. Sometimes it helps if we put a number. We say, you know, I am having an anxious day. 
Is it a 10? Or is it, is it a 1? Is it a 5? Is it a 6? A 3? An 8? And so many times, if we can just say to ourselves, you know what? Anxiety, I'm having like a 5 today. And so we still want to remind ourselves that anxiety and panic are not dangerous. They just make it feel that way. Those feelings cause us to feel like there is impending danger. So what we need to remind ourselves if we are having any of those feelings is that we stay in the present. Because anxiety is always about the future. Or it's about the past that's going to affect my future. So it's rarely in the here and now. If it's in the here and now, then it's probably legitimate fear. If someone's holding a gun to my head, that's a legitimate, actual, concrete thing to be afraid of. If I'm just sitting in my office and everything seems to be okay and everyone's having a good day, but I'm feeling anxious, what's happening with me? Is my brain misfiring? The smoke detector in my brain keeps going off. So I want to stay in the present. I want to really avoid fast and shallow breathing, which means I need to relax my body. If I use my body to trigger my brain, my brain can maybe calm down. So I really want to relax my body. It's hard to be scared if your body's a wet noodle. And I might want to expose, you know, these things to somebody or to myself. I might want to write a cares list and just say, this is what I'm anxious about. This is what I care about. And get it out on paper so you can see it concrete. You can see where it is. You can look at it. Many times just that helps us to not be so anxious. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk about this issue of not being afraid of our own fear. On 1360 KPXQ, Faith Talk, my website is CynthiaHyatt.com. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I am your host, Cynthia Hyatt, and you are listening to 1360 KPXQ Faith Talk. If you're just joining me today, please make sure you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com, and that is C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. And you can certainly get a hold of me and connect with me through that website if you are needing a keynote speaker or a seminar or conference um, leader. I do a lot of that on various and sundry topics. Uh, I have some that are listed on the website, and I can create one for you if you would like on a specific issue. So we are talking today about anxiety and how prevalent it is in our country and how guilty many of us Christians can feel about simply having this feeling of anxiety as if we are not supposed to have it. And we talked in the very beginning of the show about Jesus being God in human form, feeling anxiety, feeling fear, to the point he's sweating drops of blood when he's saying to the Father, is there any way this cup could pass? I mean, he was really stressed, really anxious. He knew what was coming. He understood foreboding feelings. And so when we think about what are some things we can do if we have a propensity for anxiety, or if you know someone that does, what can we do to help us with those anxious feelings? And so what we want, there's some, some re- relaxation techniques that actually work. And we also want to remind ourselves that our brain is a huge help or a huge hurt 
in anxiety. So if our brain just continues to find things to be anxious about, if I'm feeling anxiety, that's not helping me. What I need to do is remind myself I can choose my thoughts. So I need to use my thinking to talk me out of anxiety and not be mad at myself if my body doesn't respond immediately. I want to be kind and patient, gentle, accepting, and forgiving. Whenever we have anxious people, it always gives them more anxiety if we are mad at them, if we're short with them, if we're disgusted with them, if we're getting sick of it, if we're tired of it. So if you have an anxious person in your life, you want to be very kind. If you are the anxious person, you really want to be kind because you're with yourself all the time. So you want to practice just being accepting and saying, you know, I didn't choose to be anxious, right? Who would choose that? So really be saying to yourself, if I'm anxious and there's nothing to be anxious about, then I just need to practice relaxing. So here's one really easy. You can do this anywhere, anytime you feel tense. You inhale deeply for two seconds, and you exhale for four seconds. You can do this in your seat at your desk. You can go into the restroom. You can do this. You can do it in your car. Please, here's another one. Watch less TV. Please. That really helps with less anxiety. (laughs) Unless you are watching shows that are very uplifting, very heartfelt. I mean, watch the Hallmark Channel. Watch, I don't know, the old old, you know, TV land, watch any shows that have good endings with people doing the right thing at the right time and helping each other, and and that truth and justice is revered. Those shows will not cause you anxiety. If you have a propensity for anxiety disorders, please do not watch shows like Criminal Minds, <laughs> Law and Order, SVU, any of these, and there's a lot of newer ones that are coming, Code Black, I mean, these are like, these are anxious shows, okay? So please be careful about that. Another one, Don't take your work home or don't take home to work. So if work is stressful, don't take it home with you. If home is stressful, don't take it to work with you. And part of this is just boundaries. And we've talked about boundaries before. I want you to try to see humor in a situation if you can. And I want you to cultivate a can-do attitude. And this one is very imperative for all of us anxious people. Stop assuming the worst. Stop assuming and projecting that, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, if only then, this is, could ha- this is going to happen, or this could happen, or if I do this, that will happen. Stop some of the overthinking. Really practice listening to relaxing music. I mean, there is so much technology today with so much music. Just listen to spa music. If that's, if that's what you can do, do that in your office, in your car, in your house. There's amazing things that music does for our, for our central nervous system, but especially for our sympathetic nervous system. And it just calms us down, rewires our brainwaves. Listen to classical music, all, all the uh, Bach, Beethoven, Mozart. These men were brilliant mathematicians without knowing it. Their music is mathematically perfect, so it, our brain loves it and calms down. Take one-minute vacations. Just go to the restroom. Sit in there, stand in there, and just take breaths. Just breathe. Say Bible verses to yourself that are helpful. Any of these things can really help with anxiety. Pet a dog. Pet your cat. More than anything, choose to be happy. This is a choice. Tell your brain where you want it to go. 
This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the last segment as we talk about anxiety and truly overcoming anxiety and being your own best friend. Well, good afternoon. This is Cynthia Hyatt, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. If you're just joining me, this is the last segment of the hour. So you can always go to my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com and listen to the show in its entirety. You can also visit KPXQ website, and it is now, uh, I think it's migrating onto iTunes. So you can find all the podcasts there all the way back to 2012. Today we are talking about anxiety, and oh my goodness, that is not a fun feeling to have. So let me just give you some common symptoms of anxiety, that sometimes it helps to know really what's happening to you so that you don't believe everything your body is doing or believe everything you're thinking, and we don't want you to believe everything you're feeling. So skipping or racing or pounding of your heart, sometimes that's called palpitations. Sometimes you can feel your heart in your chest, and Sometimes you can have like a, a pain, right, in your, where, where you think your heart is. And so this is why many people think they may be having a heart attack. So that, it, it's very obviously anxiety-provoking. So anxious, anxious symptoms or symptomology are, are pain or pressure or tightness in your chest. You might get tingling or numbness in your toes or fingers. Some people feel it around their lips. Many times uh, it just is, some people feel it in their tongue. These strange sensations that it's telling you that you're anxious, but the problem is it causes us to feel more anxious when we feel these symptoms. That's what's so frustrating. So we also, when you've had the proverbial butterflies or discomfort in your stomach, it can cause constipation, diarrhea. You get restlessness, kind of jumpy. If you've ever known someone that that has what we call a high startle response, you know, you walk in the room and they jump or... You put your hand on their back and they jump. Startle responses are, are part of many times having some anxiety. And so sweating, you know, that's not brought on by heat or exertion. Trembling or shaking, just feeling just kind of weak or just kind of shaky. Jelly legs, dizziness, feeling a little bit off balance. Sometimes things like choking or a smothering sensation, like I just got to get some air. I just am feeling claustrophobic. I got to get, get out of this room. Hot flashes, cold chills, you know, tired, just feeling kind of weak or, or easily exhausted. All this, this many times can be an anxiety disorder or signs of what we call a subclinical anxiety disorder, which means you might not have a true anxiety or panic disorder, but you're just kind of having some anxiousness. And you need to really take advantage of the brain God has given you so that it works for you and not against you. So that it helps talk you through it instead of talk you into anxiety. So I want to take a little bit of time in this last part of this show. One of the biggest culprits of anxiety is perfectionism. And we Americans, wow, we really struggle with perfectionism. And, and I'm all for high standards. I'm all for striving for excellence, good work ethic, strength of character, all these things, pushing myself to be the best version I can be, you know, excellence, absolutely. But perfectionism is not that. Perfectionism is a tendency to set standards that are so high 
that either they cannot be met or can only be met with great difficulty that actually ends up harming you. So when we see people that are struggling so much with all the plastic surgery and striving for perfection, they end up looking worse many times. They end up not achieving it, and that causes them to have to go and get more. And so perfectionists tend to believe that anything short of perfection is horrible. So you can see how perfectionism cultivates or contributes or exacerbates anxiety. Because if I don't make that mark, my whole day is ruined. I can't even focus. I can't do relationship. I start making other mistakes because I can't stop obsessing about not being perfect at whatever the event or whatever report I turned in or whatever I presented, however I handled my kids, whatever my house looks like. I stepped on the scale and the number told me I'm not perfect. It just can go on and on and on. And perfectionism is also, I want you to know, one of the best indicators of perfection is that if I achieve my goal that I've worked so hard to get to, I put time and money and effort, never knew if I would actually make the goal. And once I make the goal, I get no joy from it at all. In fact, I just think, well, if I could make it, it may not be that big of a deal. So I'm no longer proud of it either. Perfectionism is always raising the bar. So I never reach the goal because once I reach a goal, it raises the bar again. So when we look at overcoming perfectionism, one of the biggest ways is to learn what perfectionism is. Learn what perfectionism in your life is about. God is perfect. He doesn't try to be perfect. He just simply is perfect. And that's important to realize. We're not perfect. We're never going to be perfect. We strive to be perfect as God is perfect, which is really more about holiness. The word, the word perfect means without flaw, without sin, without blemish. And so God isn't asking me to be perfect in my own strength. He's saying, come alongside me. Let me live in you. I will perfect you. I will finish the good work that I started in you. So you have to understand that excellence and perfection many times are not the same thing. I can be very excellent at what I do, but not perfect in any way, shape, or form. I will never be perfect. I can be excellent. I can be good. I can knock it out of the park, but I cannot be perfect. And the enemy wants me to be addicted or compelled to be perfect because he knows that he has set me up to fail and I will be miserable. And in that misery, I will hurt other people and I will not enjoy the life God has given me. So here's some ways to find out if you have a problem with perfectionism. Do you have trouble meeting your own standards? Are your standards so high or, or are there so many standards? I mean, sometimes I look at a perfectionist list. I think that you're never going to get that done if you live 5,000 years and you keep adding to the list. And so do I have trouble meeting my own standards? Do I feel frustrated, depressed, anxious, or angry? while I'm trying to, trying to meet those standards. So have I been told by other people my standards are too high? Do I give people around me anxiety because my standards are so high? Do my standards get in the way? Do they make it difficult for me to meet deadlines and finish a task? Does it make it hard to trust people? Am I not able to do anything spontaneously? Perfectionists have a very hard time with spontaneity. So let's talk about 
some perfectionistic feelings because perfectionism affects how we think, how we behave, and how we feel. So let's talk about some perfectionistic feelings. Perfectionism can make you feel depressed, frustrated, anxious, even angry, especially if you constantly criticize yourself for not being good enough or doing a job good enough or spending a lot of time and effort. And so you say things like, well, they say, wow, you, you finished that project. You're like, well, yeah, I should have finished it a week ago. It took me way longer than it should have. Okay. Or you're frustrated. Why can't I do this? I should be able to do this. Or anxious. I shouldn't feel this way. I should get over myself. See, this, the perfectionistic language is a bunch of shoulds. So if you hear should all your time, and one of the things that therapists say in the therapy world is you're shoulding all over yourself. So I want you to think about that. How often do I use the word should? Because that is many times a perfectionistic tendency. And that's how those feelings occur. How about some perfectionistic thinking? Black and white thinking. It's all or nothing. Anything less than perfect is failure, so why try? If I need help from others, I'm weak. So it's black and white, all or nothing. Catastrophic thinking. If I make a mistake in front of my coworkers, I won't survive the humiliation. I can't live with it. I'll die. If I fail, I will die. I can't handle having someone upset with me or mad at me. Perfectionistic thinking, again, is that all or nothing. Everything is catastrophic. So if you don't like me, my day ends. If I fail, my day ends. If I don't look perfect, I can't go out of the house. If I don't do my children perfectly, I'm a bad mom. So also, this tendency for what we call probability overestimation. So although I spent all night preparing for a presentation, I know I won't do it well. That's what I say. My boss will think I'm lazy if I take a couple of sick days. See, if I'm sick, then I'm not perfect. And so this overestimation is, is very, very painful for all of us when we do this. That it's like, I have this estimation of where I should be, and there's no way that I could make it. And so I constantly set myself up for failure. And then like we talked about, really want you to think about the should statements. And so some perfectionistic behaviors, this is, it's kind of interesting because what you'll see when you're perfectionistic is you do the opposite of what you want to do. So perfectionists are chronic procrastinators, chronic procrastinators. And they have a very difficult time completing tasks. And they don't give up easily. They're not able to say, you know what, this isn't working. Let's start. Let, let's just let's just put this over here and start something else. Or, I don't have enough time to finish it, so this is good enough. Perfectionists can't stand the statement "good enough." They think that's lazy. Whatever. So overly cautious and thorough in tasks. So they spend three hours for tasks that might have taken twenty minutes. It's always overkill with perfectionists. And listen. I say all this because I've been one. So I know these feelings very well. It's like people be like, well, wow, that's a lot. Cynthia, thank you. But we really only needed this. And so there's all this overkill, all this overdoing. There's excessive checking, spending 30 minutes looking over a brief email, 30 minutes over three sentences because you want to make sure it sounds right. What are they thinking? How might they receive this? What will they think when I write it? 
Is it the right time? Maybe I should wait two hours. Maybe I'm answering too soon, answering too late. It is a lot of mental activity. So constantly trying to improve things and redo things. So rewriting work documents several times to make it, quote unquote, perfect. An elaborate to-do list. Perfectionists have elaborate to-do lists. And they avoid many times trying new things because they don't want to risk making a mistake. And so what you want to think about when we're trying to overcome perfectionistic thinking, we want to be realistic. And that, for many people, is very painful if you're perfectionistic. So I want you to think about perfectionism. Perfectionists really struggle with grief and loss over accepting the fact that they're not going to be perfect. And they can still be awesome and still be excellent people. And they are still of value. And they don't have to constantly be re-upping and redoing and overcoming. And what I have found when I really worked on perfectionism is I am far more excellent when I let go of perfectionism. I make far less mistakes. My work is better. I enjoy it more. I am more people-friendly. I'm not so anxious. I'm not thinking all the time I'm standing in front of people because I'm not going over things in my head while I'm trying to be in relationship at the same time. I'm much, much better able to be present. So I really want you to think about these things. I want you to research it a little bit if this is striking a chord. Because this is the work of the enemy. God wants excellence from his people, and he is there to help be that. He knows who we are. He knows how he made us. He knows that we are imperfect, and he died for imperfect people. So please resist and reject the enemy's condemnation of you. I want you to have a blessed week. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Please join me next week. We have a couple of really good guests coming up. And we also have some really good things for Christmas. So make sure you visit the website at CynthiaHyatt.com and that you visit me on Facebook at Cynthia Hyatt Inc. That's INC for Incorporated. Instagram and Twitter. God bless you this week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during this show are given as a way to teach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate or spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay at any time at FaithTalk1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ.